0: You're listening to On Human Rights, where we talk to experts around the world about the latest and most important issues on human rights and humanitarian law. We are broadcasting from the Raal Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Lund, Sweden. I'm Kenneth Cameron. Dr. Mart Susi is an Associate Professor of Human Rights Law at Tallinn University in Estonia. He has held senior positions in several academic institutions. Thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It is a pleasure. I look forward to, to this day here.
0: What legal issues arise with the advance of new media?
1: Well uh, there are a variety of issues and um, we can take it uh, I think from the more formal perspective or from a broader perspective And, and if to start from this broader perspective we really need to ask the question whether new media opens a new paradigm in human rights uh, research but also more practically perhaps in securing compliance with um, many principles and, and standards which um, international community and also the European courts have developed when interpreting uh, the right to freedom of expression, right to privacy um, and, and so on. I personally am of the view that um, it is not even clear today whether the new media, in, in particular internet environment, can fully be legally regulated. And uh, there are particular reasons for that. One of the reasons is that any information which is placed on the internet is likely to stay there forever. That is, of course, not a new observation. That is common sense. Uh, but that is what the scholars have said. That is what the European Court of Human Rights has said, said on many, many times. So with uh, pressing the enter button and, and inserting something into the internet, even if at a later date uh, any court or any official comes in and, and deletes that uh, information, it still will likely survive somewhere. And the challenge is, um, given those particular um, or this, this particular situation of internet, uh, can it be regulated at all? And I'm, I'm inclined to believe that um, it may not be the case. Maybe internet is something where our common understanding of human rights protection really does not uh, not hold. So I would be even tempted to say that uh, the way how we understand human rights will end uh, when somebody enters the Internet. So that is a more broad uh, perspective. The other perspective, if we speak more perhaps formally, is that the international community if we speak about the EU Commission or the Council of Europe or the United Nations, of course, are aware of the different challenges which come from the Internet uh, environment, particularly how to balance these two competing rights, the right to privacy against the freedom of of expression. But uh, they have not been very successful in drafting um, resolutions, drafting uh, different uh, uh, hard law instruments or, or, or the soft law um, suggestions. So I'm not certain that uh, the international community, both the scholarly community and also the political community, uh, has a very good roadmap how to proceed in balancing those different rights in Internet. And um, even if we look at the practice of um, European courts, Uh, We see that the courts are only right now, in the last years, uh, started to issue judgments um, addressing that particular issue. Are European courts equipped to rule on these issues? Well, of course they are equipped uh, because um, my own view always is that um, scholars who are criticizing uh, the judgments and the jurisprudence of, of European Court of Justice and European Court of Human Rights, uh, indeed they are um, you know, doing what scholars need to do, they need to be critical. But the judges who are sitting in those courts are certainly as wise as the scholars are. So from the theoretical perspective, I don't think that, um, that the judges and the courts uh, lack uh, wisdom But uh, uh, here are some particular issues. One of the issues is uh, this ongoing uh, divergence between the case law of both uh, Court of Justice and Court of Human Rights. It is not a secret that uh, after the Lisbon Treaty and after 2009, when the Charter of Fundamental Rights became binding, uh, now both courts can address similar questions. And uh, both courts indeed have done so and have reached uh, rather opposing c- conclusions. Uh, take there is a famous, uh, famous case uh, against Finland where um, an online company was publishing uh, uh, information about uh, the tax returns of individuals in Finland, uh, how, much, uh, how much tax they paid, and of course it is a matter of public interest, and uh, the Court of Justice adopted uh, the position that uh, there is predominant public interest to get that information, whereas the Court of Human Rights adopted a contrary position and saying that uh, the right to privacy needs to be, or, or is, 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 is uh, has to be prioritized over the public interest towards uh, that information. So we are right now faced um, with a situation that... Um, internet by itself is is creating uh, this paradigmatic challenge and the situation is not made easier by the divergent approach of the two courts and there is another aspect which we can note Uh, people who study human rights and who follow the case law of European uh, courts know very well that there is this doctrine of European consensus that the courts try to analyse how different countries are are approaching a similar matter. But if we look into the judgments, uh, and there are not too many that deal with Internet and deal with online media, there is uh, really no such uh, comparative approach. Um, the best practices of European countries are, are not studied. So one of the critical uh, critical remarks perhaps is that this doctrine of case-by-case case basis is, is predominant here and and the courts are not really... Uh, not really trying to establish what, uh, perhaps, are the common standards that, uh, that different countries are upholding. Could
0: you explain what citizen journalism is and what rights and responsibilities arise from this new phenomenon?
1: Well, it is uh, a rather new new topic. Uh, from one side, of course, it is not new, because we all know that when the Internet started to spread, there are now all of these new new possibilities. You speak about YouTube. You speak you speak about Twitter. You speak about Facebook, um, and um, I don't know even what all those different possibilities are, where where people can upload their information. Uh, but now we see a situation that anyone really can create a website. Anyone can publish information. Anyone can even even um, create news, and. Uh, uh, we can ask whether this uh, traditional understanding that a journalist is bound by rights and responsibilities really applies to individuals who are bloggers or who are just creating let's say websites for their friends or for their for their um, civil um, civil organizations it is clear that uh, journalists in the traditional sense if they work for newspapers or if they work for big online companies they are bound by um, certain ethical standards. Uh, Most of the countries have certain guidelines for journalists uh, who work for established media companies, but um, there is no such obligation of uh, just uh, bloggers or individuals who are posting information on on the Internet to be bound by those uh, ethical standards. And there is really no way how to make them to comply with those standards. If somebody is uh, just witnessing a certain incident or accident on the street and is, is writing information about to the website, should we say that this person is already bound by the ethical standards or not? So I think uh, this citizen journalism means that Now we are seeing a situation where um, at least some of the individuals and perhaps even smaller organizations who are using Internet for communicating either their opinions or information, they are outside um, of the um, uh, legal regulation holding them accountable for the content holding them for accountable for balancing uh, the the uh, expressions and and the opinions which they which they post against uh, the right to privacy. And I personally believe there is not very much that can be done about that. One of the ways how to approach it uh, is to say that perhaps uh, there needs to be not the vertical protection of human rights as we are accustomed to think that uh, that the state, uh, organs and, and the officials uh, need, to, need to make certain that um, uh, private organizations also protect human rights. But perhaps there is a need to speak about the so-called horizontal protection of human rights, meaning that a private uh, person publishing information needs by himself or by herself feel accountable for the information which is uh, being posted. But uh, given the unpredictability of, of human behavior, I'm not certain that um, really, it would hold in all situations. Uh, so I think here, with the development of citizen uh, journalism, we see again a field where uh, the courts and also the international community doesn't know very well how to how to react. Uh, they uh, they do not know what kind of standards can be applied. Uh, we can we can even say that. Um, that uh, perhaps there never will be a possibility where uh, citizen journalism can be held accountable. Of course, uh, we need to distinguish whether somebody is, is really publishing hate speech or threats. Uh, we can then say that, uh, that the, uh, the state organs then have the responsibility to react, but perhaps not in other situations.
0: What are some of the best practices in the Nordic and Baltic countries, both from a judicial perspective and from the daily approach of online news portals?
1: Well, uh, I have personally been involved in some scholarly networks that uh, that specifically study that issue, and in particular, with the topic of anonymous comments on on internet, uh, because in all countries, uh, when online media enterprises they publish certain articles they open it up uh, for people to comment. And for a long time, uh, it was a situation that uh, the commentators could be both uh, registered commentators and they could also be anonymous commentators. And uh, with the possibility of being an anonymous commentator, of course, um, the person can um, freely post any opinions, uh, even obscene opinions, even insulting opinions, and the question has emerged uh, now, who has the responsibility uh, to control and, and if, if it even can be controlled, what, what comments appear on the, on the, on the Internet uh, after certain articles. And what are some of the best practices? Um, there are a variety of those. Uh, first of all, uh, one of the practices is that um, anonymous comments are prohibited totally, that websites simply do not allow that because of the fear that uh, individuals who get insulted or who get threatened then may turn against the uh, online news portals. Uh, It is sometimes very difficult to establish who has posted an insulting comment and then the courts may find uh, the online news portals accountable for that. Uh, Then the other practice is that there are certain uh, filters, filters which uh, detect uh, obscene words, insulting words, and then they automatically um, make it impossible for those comments to appear on the website. There is also this practice of monitoring. There can be pre-monitoring or post-monitoring. Pre-monitoring would mean that an administrator sits behind a computer screen and, and looks at every comment, anonymous comment, before it appears online to the to all the viewers. And, of course, it is rather difficult to do because uh, then you would need tens of administrators uh, working constantly and looking at the, at the comments. And the other possibility is post-monitoring, that then occasionally the administrators look what has been posted. Uh, there is also this uh, system of notice and, and takedown, meaning that if anyone detects an, an, an uh, unsuitable comment, um, there is a Button that the person can press, and it then will be automatically brought to the attention of the of the um, portal administrator. Another practice is that only selectively articles are made um, open for commenting, perhaps on the principle of uh, towards which article there is more public uh, public interest. Uh, Iceland, a small country, has a practice that they don't do anything, they, they just uh, don't. Uh, d- for them, surprisingly enough, uh, anonymous insulting comments are not an issue and, and it appears that the colleagues in Iceland explain Iceland is a country with uh, 300,000 uh, individuals and they can always guess if somebody is going too far on the internet. So for them, uh, strangely enough, that is that is not a matter. Uh, But from the legal perspective, uh, I think uh, we are now faced with the question of time. Time is something which becomes decisive because um, uh, whenever somebody is, let's say, sitting in an office of an online media enterprise uh, and having to decide if an obscene comment or if a comment is obscene or not, or if it is, let's say, something that still can be tolerated, uh, the available time amount for the person to decide that is, is very small. Maybe we speak about minute, half a minute, a few minutes, which uh, if you contrast that to the time which courts have at their disposal, if somebody complains that his or her rights have been violated, the courts have years to decide about that. So um, I think it is it is something which we can say that really the, the whatever standards will be written or, or if at some point even some you know, general global standards or european standards might be might be adopted then it really is uh, outside of the um, judicial review uh, so that is something which uh, which we need to take into account and perhaps these are some of the best practices which which the nordic uh, nordic and baltic countries have done so it's a very mixed mixed picture and uh, one other observation i must say is that um, Most of the countries and media enterprises do not really know what other countries are doing. They think that in a way they are inventing a bicycle or inventing a wheel and and, uh, there is very little exchange of information both between the legal communities and between the media communities among themselves.
0: Dr. Mart Susi is an Associate Professor of Human Rights Law at Tallinn University in Estonia. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. On Human Rights is broadcast from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Lund, Sweden. I'm Kenneth Cameron. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back soon with more talking to experts around the world about the latest and most important issues on human rights and humanitarian law.